I oversee the children's ministry here at Faith Fellowship. Cool. <laughs> Before I start talking to you today, I'm going to take a chance to take advantage of being in front of you to let you know that I will be announcing VBS soon and announcing the meeting for VBS soon. So if you want to come hang out with me and volunteer, that'd be great. Okay, there's my little shameless plug. So the chorus from our song just now, I take it one step at a time. When the mountain in front of me hangs over everything, I take it one breath at a time. When the world that is all I see feels like too much for me, put one foot in front of the other, one breath after another. And today that's exactly what we're going to talk about, is changing one step at a time, whatever that change might be for you. To do this, we're going to look at Peter. He was a disciple of Jesus and one of Jesus' inner circle along with two other disciples. Um, in the kids' zone, I like to say they were kind of best friends. Peter also preached at Pentecost, bringing thousands to faith and became a founding member and leader of the early Christian church, celebrated for his faith. We also are going to answer three questions about change today. What drives change? Who does the work of change? And how do we change? So what drives change? Well, most of the time it's driven by reaction or at least the desire to change is driven by reaction. New Year's resolutions are a perfect example of this. We see something in the past year and we react to it by wanting to change it, making a New Year's resolution. We see how low our bank account got between paychecks and we react to that by deciding to budget better in the new year. We see how much weight we gained in the last year and we react to that feeling and resolve to diet or exercise or somehow lose weight. We're also often motivated by shame, guilt, embarrassment, fear. I mean, think about it, if you weren't guilty, if you didn't feel guilty about your spending habits, would you have the desire to change them? If you weren't embarrassed when you look in the mirror, would you make a resolution to change? Peter showed these kind of negative motivations in Matthew chapter 26. Shortly after Jesus was arrested to be taken and tortured and crucified, people had asked Peter if he was one of Jesus' disciples. Hey, don't I know you? You're one of his followers, right? Weren't you in the garden with him when we arrested him just a bit ago? And Peter said, no, actually, you have the wrong guy. I've never met him even. Don't know who you're talking about. Not me. Sorry. Obviously, we know that's a lie. And this happened three different times that people asked Peter, hey, you're one of the guys that follows Jesus around, right? And he said, no, absolutely not. And not only did he lie about this, but he swore. He made an oath. He said, a curse on me if I'm lying. I do not know the man. 
Now, of course, we know he was lying, so I guess he's supposed to get cursed now? I don't know. But he was motivated by fear instead of faith. He was afraid that he would be arrested or tortured or killed just like Jesus was. And so instead of being motivated by his faith and his loyalty to Jesus, he went against his own beliefs and lied. So the same is for us, right? We are motivated by reacting. We're motivated by shame. We're motivated by guilt. And then we fail, don't we? We mess up because it's not actually good motivation. In order to experience real revolutionary change, we have to find a different motivation. And friends, that true motivation is becoming more like Christ. Of course, we don't become Christ, we're not deities, we're not all-powerful, but we become like Christ in that we mimic the way that Jesus treated people. Things like love and acceptance, grace, helping others, etc. Pastor Doug Fields puts it this way, he says, God wants to change us, he wants to take our discontent and change it to joy. He wants to take our insecurity and change it to peace. He wants to change our bitterness to goodness, our anger and rage to gentleness. He wants to take that which is out of control and transform it to self-control. Now notice this doesn't say God wants to change you to go to church every Sunday, read your Bible, 30 minutes a day, and then whatever else happens. It's broad. It's more than that. Because God wants to change us to make us act more like Jesus and treat others more like Jesus in every part of our lives. Whatever area of our life that is. Because any change that pursues goodness is a change that pursues becoming like Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way. It says, we all show the Lord's glory, and we are being changed to be like him. This change in us brings more and more glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we glorify God when we act in ways that Jesus would, whether that's professionally, personally, at home with our families, maybe our spiritual practices, that's definitely still applicable. But any change towards compassion, doing the right thing, grace, love, is a change in the right direction. And this motivation to mimic Jesus is powered by God's grace. If we have accepted Jesus into our lives, we've already experienced this grace-powered change. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that this means anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The moment that you accept God's grace, you begin that new life. You take that first step into a new way of living a way 
that pursues the kind of love and grace and joy shown by Jesus. We get to see Peter's moment of acceptance and stepping into this new life when Jesus calls him to become a disciple. Peter was an average fisherman, just trying to make ends meet, earn a living, pay the bills, probably a lot like most of us. And one day, Jesus came to him and a few other disciples and said, follow me. I will make you fishers of people, meaning that he would make them ones who preach to people instead of fishing. And Peter, in that moment when Jesus said that, he dropped everything and followed Jesus. Peter's life was changed right then. He accepted grace and love that Jesus was freely offering him, no strings attached, no requirements or checklists to meet. And the same is true for us. The moment that we accept God's grace, we are empowered to make the needed changes that we need to. And if we want lasting change, the kind of permanent change that makes it past January, we must be changing in ways that glorify God. If we're trying to change in a way that makes us mean or bitter or any other list of negative things, it's not going to be powered by grace. We need God on board We need the power of his grace, and we need the motivation to imitate it. So if that's the case, if we understand that we're powered by grace, we're motivated by mimicking the actions and the love of Jesus, who is going to do all the work? Because, wow, it's changed a lot of work. I think most of you can probably relate to that. That change is hard. And the good news for us is that change is a cooperative endeavor between us and God. God isn't doing all the work, leaving us to sit around and wait to see what he's going to do next. This is good news because we're not just passive entities being acted upon. We're not just little figurines that God moves around. But we get a say. We take an active role. We have the autonomy and the ability to make decisions about how our lives change and how they look and the direction we go. Because the grace that powers change is more than just forgiveness and restoration for the things that we do wrong, though it certainly is that. It is also an invitation to join in the good work of Jesus Christ. We see Jesus give Peter this active role when he says, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus said this to Peter, knowing full well that he was going to later deny him and turn his back against him. But he said it anyway, and he says it to us anyway, that even though we will most definitely fail plenty, 
he is still giving us that active role. And logically, if Jesus is giving us an active role in the most important change we could ever make, being coming to faith, then we absolutely receive that same kind of active role for other changes in our lives. But we also are not doing all the work while God sits back and watches as if we're some reality TV show and just leaves us to figure it out. He is with us and helping us. We have a God who relieves us of the responsibility of bearing the burden of change alone. He knows that we would fail on our own, and he knows that change is hard and we need help. Just like a friend or family member offers to help you when you're going through a tough time, helps to motivate you to change, hold you accountable, God is doing the same thing. It's not a trick, right? If your family or friend offers to help you, it's because they love you. The same is true with God. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him. And Peter chose to ignore the fact that God helps us. Peter chose to lean on his own ability. He swore up and down that he wasn't going to deny Jesus. Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Now, of course, as we said, Peter did deny him because he was so sure that his own strength was enough. But we have a God who works with us. We don't have to be like Peter. One thing about God that makes this so great comes from Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This means that we always have a God who is a constant for us to rely on. And this is good. It doesn't mean that God doesn't change because he's stuck in his ways and refuses to catch up. It means that he's already perfect. It means that we already have a measuring stick, if you will, to guide us towards that grace and love and righteousness, humility, compassion. By first recognizing that we work towards change with God, whom we can rely on, as a constant, steadfast guide, we can prepare ourselves to now begin the process of making progress. So, how do we change then? How do we become a person who reflects Christ and glorifies God? How do we change to be the kind of person we want to be? The answer is slowly, like really, really slowly, and one step at a time. It takes time to make lasting changes, 
which is why our New Year's resolutions don't really work. We expect to wake up on January 1st, ready to love our spouses, gently parent our kids, be on time for everything, budget excellently, earn a raise at work, wake up early so that we can go to the gym, meal prep, pack the lunch boxes, take a picture of the lunch boxes to post on TikTok, oh, and walk the dog. That's a lot, that's a lot just to say, isn't it? A lot just to hear me say. Because we expect to change our entire lives at once and that's just not realistic. Unfortunately and fortunately, long-term, lasting, permanent change requires taking things slowly, taking things one step at a time, because progress is a process. Now, I say unfortunately and fortunately, because despite what our fast-paced, instant gratification and to steal a vocabulary word from Pastor Damon, meistic society says, things aren't supposed to happen all at once. God has blessed us with the gift of slow change. Paul explains this in Philippians, which is a letter written to a church in the city of Philippi. Paul writes, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I keep working toward that day when I finally will be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, <laughs> there we go. I am still not all I should be but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I start to reach, I strain to reach, should have worn my glasses, I guess, the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. Paul is saying that God designed us to continue growing and changing for our full lives. It said, until the day that I reach Christ, that I reach what he designed me for. That means until the day that our life on earth is over. We've been designed to change and develop slowly and always be striving to improve ourselves. Because change, seeking to act like Christ, is a journey, not an event. The event is salvation. The event is the moment that we accept that we love God and that God is loving to all people. The journey is trying to be like that. But this is good because it means we don't need to be overwhelmed by the pressure of immediate change. We are blessed with the opportunity to slow down and to focus on small, manageable steps which then over time build and add to create the transformational, drastic change that we seek. So how then on earth do we figure out what the small steps are? First, we need to look towards our destination. 
Otherwise, we'll start taking small steps of change, and we'll be going along, and then we'll look up and realize we wanted to go that way. Kind of like not putting the GPS coordinates in correctly. You're kind of going the wrong way, so it doesn't really even matter. Dave Miller talked about this last week when he was talking about the importance of planning and looking ahead in our jobs. But it's true of any change that we want to make, any part of our life that we want to improve. So if the direction of change, as we've already said, is to be like Jesus, we have a path. We know that anything that we do should be in that direction. So after we've set that trajectory, we see point A, point B. We need to break down that long journey into small steps. Because being more like Christ, acting like Jesus acted, treating people like Jesus treated people, is a lot of things. I've already mentioned probably six or eight of them. The fruit of the Spirit is nine right there. We have a whole book that shows us how many things Jesus is, and that is a lot. So we can't just say, we're going to be more like Christ. Boom. Let's just start by picking one way. Usually, this is the part of the lesson where I have the kids pick one themselves, and then we'll work together and cooperate and map it all out. But I'll be nice, and I'll do it for you. Next time, though, audience participation. <laughs> so let's just say that for you, one way that you need to become more like Christ is by being a kinder person. Okay, so what does it look like for you to be kind? This probably also has a lot of answers, actually. Acts of service, generosity, acceptance of people you don't agree with, kind words. That's also still a lot to tackle. So again, let's break it down a little more. And pick one. So we'll go with kind words. Now you have one step that you can take to change yourself. So for the next however long it takes, you can ask God to help you make a conscious effort to think before you speak to choose your words carefully, to have that filter that says, is what I'm about to say kind? Is it building others up? Is it speaking truth in love? Or is it reacting in anger? Or self-righteousness? Or whatever. And that way, you have one thing to focus on instead of spreading your one brain out into a million things on a to-do list. Now, I'm not saying don't ever get to those other things. I'm just saying that one small step is better than you were before, and then you can take another small step. Or you might actually take a step back afterwards because we have to remember that it is okay that we're human, and it is okay that we'll fail. We'll mess up, it's fine, it's just part of the deal. 
And when we do mess up, when we do fail miserably at our one step, no matter how tiny or insignificant that one little step might seem, God is meeting us with patience and compassion as we learn and grow. He'll meet us with that a thousand times or 10,000 times or a million times or however many times it takes because God is not in a hurry. God wants to see the direction of our hearts and so we need to meet ourselves with that same patience and compassion. We need to remember that if God is going to forgive us and love us and let us pick ourselves up and try again, we have to extend that same grace to ourselves. Because remember, grace is what motivates and drives change, not shame or guilt or embarrassment. Because even if we only ever take two steps forward and then one step back and then two steps forward and then one step back, that's okay because each time we still make one step of progress. Remember that God is working in you and that his grace empowers you. Whether you're going forward or backwards, he's right there. Earlier, I mentioned that Peter was being motivated by the wrong things, leaning on the wrong things, and he denied Jesus. But our story doesn't actually end there with those denials. Because Jesus never once held that against Peter. A few days after this had taken place, Jesus had since been crucified and buried and had risen from the dead. He was with the disciples. They had eaten a meal. And then Jesus asked Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, of course, I love you. You know that. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. And then a second time, Jesus asked, Peter, do you love me? And Peter again is like, Yes, I love you. That's why I'm here. You know this. And Jesus says again, then feed my sheep. And a third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? Now, at this point, I feel like Peter's probably getting kind of irritated, right? He's like, Lord, you know everything. You are literally God. You know that I love you. And again, Jesus replied, feed my sheep. Because Peter denied knowing or following Jesus three times. And three times, Jesus prompted Peter to declare his love for him. To show that each of those denials is gone. Now, the act of declaring his love for Jesus was not what forgave Peter. But it showed Peter and us, reading the story later, that Jesus knows Peter loves him. And he knows that he messed up, but that doesn't change how much he loves him. And it doesn't change how capable he is of leading others to faith and having a good relationship with God himself. Throughout the New Testament, we see Peter fail a lot of other times. 
He almost drowned himself one time, actually, trying to walk on water with Jesus and then panicking and starting to sink. But we don't just watch Peter fail. We don't just watch him take steps backwards. We also watch him change over the years from average fisherman to church leader to a voice of Jesus, to an example of love. We have the same opportunities to keep changing, no matter how many times we step backwards and fail, or how anxious we get, or how stressed we get. We have the same ability and opportunity to be picked back up, held, hugged, forgiven, loved, and another opportunity extended to us to try again. When we accept this grace and the gift of slow change, the gift of tiny baby steps, so that we can focus on one thing at a time, one step, one breath at a time. Friends, we can make some insane changes. We just have to be a little patient about it. So, I want you to remember that through the power of grace, with the help of God, we can be an example of Jesus in the world, one step at a time in any aspect of our lives. As we close and the band comes to play another worship song, as we have opportunities for prayer down front during and after the conclusion of the service. I encourage you to spend a couple minutes and just think about that. Think about what change you're wanting to make. And then think about how you can scale that back into a small first step. Maybe you need to accept God for the first time or for the 50th time, but you've lost your faith along the way. It's right there. It's free. It's open to you. Maybe you need to show more grace and love to those you don't agree with. Maybe you have a habit of being angry or hateful, and you need to make that change to respond with love and acceptance and grace. Maybe you need to change to be more intentional about how you spend your time. I think at least those in my generation are very good at um, what we call doom scrolling, and that is getting caught on our phones, on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, if you're, I guess, retro, because apparently Facebook isn't cool now instead of doing things that not only do we know we need to do, we want to do. And we need to figure out how to spend that time in a better way, in a way that aligns with our priorities. I could sit here and list examples all day of changes because, like I said, they could be anything. As long as it's pursuing kindness and goodness and love, it's a good change to make. But I'll let you have that moment to think of it yourself. Because whatever it is, God's ready to help you out. Would you pray with me?
Lord, thank you so much for the design of slow change. That you work with us, but give us an active role at the same time. Help us to be driven to be more like you, to pursue love above all. And help us to know what next small step to make, what manageable baby step we can go for. And then that even if we mess up the tiniest thing, instead of being angry and and embarrassed at ourselves, that we would remember that you forgive us endlessly and that we can forgive ourselves endlessly the same and receive a new opportunity each new day. Just put on our hearts what that little manageable step is, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please stand as we close in worship.